This is the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there, welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. I'm Peter Gowers. Let's head to the NT Independent Online Newspaper now and chat with Chris Walsh, the editor. Walshy, how are you going? Hey Pete, I'm good. Good to see you again this week. You too. Busy week for you, obviously, uh, with travel and things like that, but uh, we can get into that in more detail on the weekend edition, if you like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, picked up something along the way in between here in Sydney that's kind of <laughs> slowed me down this week, but um, uh, I'm getting over it and uh, been still paying attention to Parliament. Yeah, there's been a fair bit going on. And Chris, um, when you left last week, of course, it was amid a share scandal uh, and a conflict of interest that the Chief Minister was embroiled in, and it seems she's got herself embroiled in another conflict of interest. Yeah, look, Pete, that's right. I mean, this stuff just doesn't seem to go away. It keeps getting deeper and deeper. I guess, you know, once you practice to deceive, as the old yes. saying goes, um, here we are now. Uh, now, it was actually Robin Lamley who brought this uh, uh, this to everyone's attention, and uh, she very much has a point here, and that is that uh, the Chief Minister, Natasha Files has failed to publicly disclose on her parliamentary register this uh, conflict of interest involving her husband working for a major health provider that has reportedly been paid more than a quarter of a billion dollars by the NT government. Now, this, of course, is uh, what you would know as care flight. Now, the chief minister, of course, has also been the health minister since 2016. Now, uh, in the, the registered member's interest, it actually has a section where it says any other. Now, remember, she's disregarded some of these things before, including the shares. And we know between 2016 and 2020, where it said list all the shares you have, she listed nothing. Uh, then in 2020, she had BHP. Then in 22, she had Woodside and all of that fiasco. But now there's another there's another page later on, and it says any other interest where a conflict of interest with a member's public duties could foreseeably arise or be seen to arise. Now, what you see typically in this, Pete, is a lot of the, the MLAs actually do put in, well, you know, my spouse does this, and, uh, you know, or my, my, yeah, my spouse is involved with this organization. Um, it could be a conflict. I also am involved with this organization. Uh, it's just any other interest where a conflict of interest could arise. She's left that blank. We've gone back and checked this for years. She's left this blank. Uh, she was health minister. Her husband is a senior employee of CareFlight. She would be there. And in fact, we've gone back and we've checked this out that there's uh, tens of millions of dollars just in uh, uh, contracts that were awarded to this company while uh, Files was health minister. Uh, there was a $57 million contract in 2020. There was a, uh, a sole contract that was with a partnership for CareFlight uh, for the provision of interstate aeromedical evacuation services. Also, uh, solely awarded a $5.3 million contract in 2018 and 2016, a $20 million contract. Uh, so also overall, I mean, there, there's this giant contract that's about to come up again that the Robin Lamley herself, uh, a former health minister, knew about the back in the Martin days when they set this up with CareFlight. It was a big $256 million uh, deal in 2013. So, um, yeah, the, the, that, that's going to come up again. And why has Files not declared this? Now, this isn't something that I thought they were going to come out and say, 
oh, this isn't fair going after family and stuff. Well, no, other MLAs have declared what their spouses do and, and their links to organizations, their employment in some cases, or even just membership of clubs or whatever. This is a, just another outright breach here of um, and then failure, breach of the, the code of conduct, but also a failure in that uh, Legislative Assembly Disclosures Act, which should see her go to privileges at the very least. I mean, but... You know, I mean, there's there's no rules anymore, Pete, right? I mean, she's shown with the whole Woodside stuff that, you know, she can breach the ministerial code of conduct. She's the first minister in the Northern Territory's history to breach it uh, and not have anything done. There there were no consequences for it. Mm -hmm. Remember the CLP, Willem Wester Van Holt did that back in 2016. He resigned three days later after after Labour, no less, and opposition came and said, well, what's the point of a ministerial code of conduct if nothing's going to happen here when you breach it? Well, they're just doing it now. And Files is just blatantly sticking it in everyone's face and getting away with it. I'm just a bit shocked that the CLP or others haven't quoted the exact same line back to them. I don't understand, Pete. I've been watching Parliament this week. Uh, yeah. She goes after them about back. Well, and she was even pulling, oh, Hansard's so wonderful. She said, look, I've got the, the men, you know, Leah Fanacaro, the leader of the opposition now. But back then she was in government. She said this and it was like nothing. It was innocuous, and I don't know why CLP doesn't go on the attack and say, well, here's what you said about breaching yeah. the ministerial code of conduct, at least what Gunner said, and you were the whip at the time, uh, leader yeah. of government, or, yeah, opposition whip at the time. So, yeah, no, the, their attacks have fallen flat again. We're going to talk about that in greater detail uh, on the weekend because there's a lot mm -hmm. of things that I've seen this weekend that uh, or this week in Parliament that, that are troubling. Absolutely. And Chris, following that theme, um, I, I can't, I just can't help but bring up the uh, carry on that was in Parliament just some months ago when uh, the Attorney General got up and declared that uh, the current government were unbeatable and they'd win at the upcoming election <laughs> and there's nothing that could be done about it. And just a few months later, uh, Redbridge has released a poll that suggests very much the opposite of that. Yeah, look, uh, I think when this kind of dropped on Thursday night, and it was just by a tweet from uh, the director of this company, Redbridge, which is a marketing yep. polling company out of Melbourne, I, I, I don't think people were sure what exactly to make of this. I mean, was this legit? Who, who's done this? Who's done this poll? Uh, so I was uh, in Sydney still on Friday morning, and I, I called Cause uh, uh, Samaras. He's the uh, one of the directors with Redbridge. And, um, yeah, he, he sent me the, uh, the methodology and how he's done this, and uh, it's legit. I mean, these guys are, are well-known in other states, and as he was saying on the phone, he said, look, yeah, we've done other states. And he said, but I thought, well, we got to go up in the Northern Territory and let's see if, what we can do up there. He said, I was surprised at how quickly it was, it was done. You know, it's a phone poll, which is, you know, and I've commissioned these things when I was with the NT News. We used to do polling, and it can get expensive and and there's a lot of factors in there and there's a lot of, you know, caveats here in the territory. One is that you can't pull the bush. So you have to pull kind of the larger urban areas. But he said uh, the one surprise thing was it was done in three days. He said, you know, I could call around Melbourne and it would take me a couple of weeks to get people yeah. who will actually do it. But he said there seemed to be people wanting to give their opinion. And what that opinion showed was that Labour would not win if there were an election today. Uh, now, this was conducted, again, the poll, um, uh, the week of when the uh, shares scandal actually hit. Now, I heard to say, you know, what, what 
you know, factor that might have played in anything here. I mean, I think labor's been on the nose with crime in the economy here for a long time, and people disgruntled and upset about their handling of of everything, um, basic governance yeah. issues, uh, and the scandals that keep happening. And this was just kind of another one in the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah, uh, what it found was that the 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 Labour Party's at 19.7%. That's Territorians who said that they would support this uh, scandal plague files government. Uh, now, a little more than 40% of Territorians, on the other hand, would support the CLP in first preference votes if an election were held now, the Red Ridge poll shows. And so that's interesting. Now, that's first preference. Then you'd want to look at two-party preferred. It doesn't appear that that, that was done on this one. There's some other interesting things, though, that, that we have seen here. And and remember, the Redbridge has said, too, that they will be doing more polling. Uh, I think it's early next year and then ahead of the, the election in August. So th- it'll be interesting to see how things changed. And, yeah, like we said, the, the, this is a firm that accurately gauged the voice referendum and the last Victorian state election. Uh, so what he said caused Samaras, the director, was our findings suggest that Territorians are no longer loyal to one political party over another. Although our findings suggest NT Labour is in deep trouble, they still have a small window of opportunity to turn this boat around. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Uh, yeah, I think the, the ship has sailed. The ship of fools, as we did up not too long ago with the... Uh, <laughs> The cabinet reshuffle, uh, but right. and, like I, I really, and somebody was saying the other day, well, look, what, what about when the giving season starts and they start handing out grants? It would have to be a lot of money. Like I, I think that they've lost territorians and they've lost them for a while. It started with Gunner. We've seen files just completely follow Gunner's track, and 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 that track led us right over the cliff here. Uh, she's not taking ser- yep. taken seriously anymore. We know that on a national stage or even at home here. Uh, th- this is the kind of stuff that, that hurts a politician, that hurts this whole political party. And I think you, you see them, they're starting to employ, implode Sorry, in, um, in Parliament and the, the anger and the frustration and everything's coming out because they know this mm-hmm. is very troubling for them. Uh, we, we talked to a senior, we wanted to get some local political people in on this, right? So we talked to a senior Labour uh, party figure who said, look, the poll confirms that a Labour government led by Files and Madison is unelectable, but the Lemmings and Caucus are determined to follow them over the precipice to electoral <laughs> annihilation. <laughs> so he summed that up. Well. Great way to put it. Yeah. And so, uh, look, there were other things here, too, like the, the, the Greek community has, has, has abandoned Labour. Now, they were... Uh, they were big when Claire Martin first formed government in 2001, the first labor government here. And so they've left them. Not exactly sure why. We're hoping to get some more answers as, uh, as the other polls come along. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not a good, it's not a good poll for, for labor. I can mm-hmm. tell you that. And, and only nine months out from an election when you've got the, the scandals that they're dealing with and it feels like they can't get any clear air. Um, and yeah. now this, so, um, yeah, there, it's going to be a difficult road ahead. Yeah. And Chris, just confirm for me, Red Bridge and Land Bridge, not related. <laughs> no, I looked them up. They, they, <laughs> yeah, no, that would be funny. Yeah. And he also found that the sale of the port was a good thing and everyone loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> no. I was wondering if there was some positive news on that front. <laughs> no, there's, um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and Chris, just lastly for the news bites this week, uh, we touched on this actually last week with Woody um, related to some other figures, but uh, more figures showing that the territory finances are shot. That's right, and the economy's in the toilet. And for some reason, they've decided that now everything's great. <laughs> like even though we can see, yeah. like yeah, I, I heard you guys talking about it last week. Of course, with the uh, gross state product being so far down, five point three drop in that. Um, so you, you know, add into that this um, that the territory's deficit this year will be more than double what the government claimed at the budget in May. Uh, net debt also expected to continue to increase to two ten point two billion in two years. Uh, that the government's still boasting a return to an operating surplus next year. I don't know <laughs> okay. how. And a strong economy over the next three years, including a surprise and unexplained 4.5% increase in GSP in 25-26. It was like averaging their forecast was like 2.5%. And then all of a sudden it jumps up to 4.5%. It's not really explained in there. Now, what they're saying is uh, the mid-year report shows, and this was the mid-year report that was tabled on Tuesday night in Parliament, Shows the deficit this year forecast to tip $475 million. Uh, was over the $200 million that was forecast when the budget was released. So they said this was due to less than expected mining royalties as a result of expected lower production and softening of some commodity prices, as well as revised timing of federal funding for infrastructure projects and long-term employee costs. Uh, the debt is just going to keep going. However, the government appeared to pin, and we know this story, its economic hopes on the delayed Santos Barossa offshore gas project, which we know is still, you know, clearing court hurdles. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, defense spending they've mentioned, and the long promise, and this is it, where everyone's going to get tired of this, the long promised, quote unquote, significant pipeline of projects that have yet to reach final investment decision. This is what they've talked about for seven years. And significant never, pipeline of projects which have no name or no... <laughs> and have yet to reach final investment decision. It's This is not good. It's not good. No, no mention of an albatross in there, Chris? <laughs> no, not yet, but we'll be, we'll be looking into them again. There is some stuff on them <laughs> soon enough. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, the significant pipeline of projects that remain subject to final approvals or investment decisions and are not yet included in the forecast. These projects will, if they proceed, positively influence the territory's economic outlook. Mm, I'm sorry, yeah, we're just done yeah, we're done with that. That's just you got to yeah. have something else. You got to do better than this. And then, but then she comes out, Holly comes out, and says, "Well, we're getting an annual operating surplus." again next year okay. how are you going to do that you're nearly like what half a billion dollar deficit this year but next year you're gonna have a surplus you're gonna crazy. cook the books yeah and then she said and then just that we we've set a target of growing our economy to 40 billion by 2030 we're determined to achieve this target i, I can't even read the rest of it yeah it's not it makes you feel sick that they're still throwing that one out there because it's all well and good to have these goals and what have you. And this is what I said to Woody last week. At some point, they've got to come out and tell the truth and say, there's no chance in hell we can achieve this. And we know this because our, our targets aren't even close now yeah. and we're nowhere near what we need to be on. So <laughs> no, but we can't just suddenly pluck it out of nowhere with two years to go. Now, the other thing that bothers me about this too, and I, and I meant to include that in here, but uh, we will bring it up again. Uh, remember last time the, the pre-election fiscal outlook was all lies. 
and we'll get one mm-hmm. of those. But remember that they found that it was like, this is a government that is not opposed to fudging numbers. And like you said, cooking books nice. and just lying to the public to get them elected. They've, they've done it. The auditor general found that they did it and they never came clean on it. They put it on a treasury website and said, oops, we messed up, but it didn't go around to the public during the election. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not surprised that they just created a 4.5% jump in 25-26 and let's do a 10% one in 28 <laughs> And then a 15, you know, and then there we are, we're at 40. Uh, Based on a significant pipeline project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's just, it's it's very grim uh, reading that, that major thing. It's worse than expected. It is. It's embarrassing. And I was telling a friend this during the week who was absolutely shocked. And this is this is the thing that staggers me. I said, I'm going to tell you something that I don't think even you would realize, an intelligent, normal, everyday person who lives down south. I said, you understand that the federal government's responsible for the Northern Territory's debt? And yet, at this point, they're doing absolutely nothing to rein it in. In fact, mm. it's as though it's the Territory's debt and their responsibility. Mm. But the, the, the other fact with this is that the next time you go to the polls and you decide who you want to vote for, I'm not going to tell you who that is, but if the uh, member, for example, or the person running to be the member for your seat is also going to be, for example, the treasurer, if that side of politics wins the election, mm. you better make damn sure they've got some history in at least accounting <laughs> or something to do with numbers. Because what we're seeing now is the grim reality of people mm. who have no background in the portfolios they represent, and they don't even know how to fudge the numbers or how to fudge what's going on. No. I mean, there's so much we'll talk about on the weekend related to other stuff, but you see two ministers now in complete conflict with each other based on promises that were made six, eight months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Pete, yeah. No, it really is. And, um, yeah, the, the, it's incompetence and corruption. Again, they will change things if they can, but they don't understand what they're doing anyway. So yeah. it's just that there are no rules. <laughs> Nothing sacred yeah. anymore with these people. And, and look, it is just going to descend into more madness before – uh, too long, and um, before Parliament's over this week, I imagine, too, there'll be some more yeah. craziness as there was today with Lawler getting ejected, and then they turned on the Speaker. Like, <laughs> Labour turned on its own Speaker for ejecting Lawler, who was threatening people again and stuff. Anyway, it was just, it's just madness. Crazy. They've lost control. They've completely lost control of the plot. That's how, it, that's how it feels. Yeah. Mate, I look forward to discussing it in a lot more detail on the weekend edition. Yeah, sounds good, people. We'll see you then. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent. Weekends with Walshy back again. That'll be released around 7am Saturday morning. And we'll catch you again next week for the Territory Story podcast, News Bites. That was the Territory Story News Bites for this week. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.